Welcome to The Reformist Pipeline, your dose of empowerment and the pipeline to inform your decisions on how you can support change in our education system. This is Lindsay, affectionately known as Miss Black. I'm Hadi Hot, Mr. Broussard, if you're feeling raspy, Lens, it's been a raspy day for me. Um, the allergies are really kicking my butt. Um, but all that's to say, I'm celebrating a lot. My parents just celebrated their 33rd one year anniversary. Um, there's some trips coming up. I just finished the panel last weekend. Um, so yeah, there's just so much positivity going on. So I really appreciate you so much for all the support that you've been giving me. And, and shout out to our advocates as well. Shout out to the advocates. Um, shout out to you for making raspy and emotions. Let's start there. I didn't know we could feel, I mean, I knew we could feel it, but not in that way. Um, it's amazing here. Uh, I honestly, the number one thing that is on my mind, I think about updates is it's Aries season. And it is so many Aries in my life, man. Like today, one of my, my good friend, roommate, Sonia's birthday. And I remember when she first got here, I told her, I was like, yeah, it's so funny you're an Aries. I don't know any Aries. My daddy Aries. <laughs> I didn't know nothing about the season, but shout out to Aries season. Uh, happy birthday to y'all. Glad that people are finding ways to celebrate, even though we're still in this pandemic. So hope y'all enjoying it. Amen, amen, amen. And as always, just want to let everybody know that we are back with another episode for you advocates. And so if you haven't already had the chance to follow us on Instagram, it's at The Reformist Pipeline. Go ahead and stop what you're doing and make sure you go ahead and check us out. Check out our website as well. Um, it's live with updates and lots of information. And let's just reestablish our objective for the season. This is semester one of our two-part season. Semester one will run through June and we are focusing on creating the ideal school. So we will explore different ways in which we reimagine the ideal school. And today we are describing our ideal school in the lens of race. Ooh, exciting and controversial. Check it. Terminology time. It is terminology time. Now, this is the segment we use to help create a common language between us educators and non-educators. Our phrase for this week is white supremacist culture. This is probably pretty familiar for some. Now, we know that white supremacy culture is the idea that white people and the ideas, thoughts, beliefs, and actions of white people are superior to people of color and their ideas, thoughts, beliefs, and actions. We are indoctrinated into white supremacist culture. There are documented 15 characteristics that I'm sure anyone listening can say they've had experience with, even if you can't name them off the top of your head. And we're about to run through them just so we're all on the same page and framing our conversation about the ideal school through the lens of race and equity within culture. So number one is perfectionism, saying if, you make a mistake, you are a mistake. Number two, sense of urgency. Ooh, I hate this one. Not taking time to be inclusive with democratic decision-making. Three, defensiveness. Criticism of those with power is viewed as rude and threatening, and I'm sure we've experienced that a lot in the workplace. Four, quantity over quality. If it can't be measured, it has no value. Five, worship of the written word. Ooh, this the one. If it's not written down, it doesn't exist. And we experience that a lot um, 
for this anti-racist movement within schools, you know, Black teachers have like a certain amount of experience and qualitative data that should be used when thinking about framing school culture for Black students. But if it ain't written down, it didn't have any value. Crazy part is that it was written down and it still didn't have value, but we'll move on to number six. Only one right way. If you don't see it my way, you are wrong. I see that a lot happening. Seven, paternalism. Those with power believe they can make decisions for everyone. Eight, either or thinking. Things are either good or bad, right or wrong, black or white, mm, but a lot of it's in the gray, baby. Number nine, power hoarding. This is a, this is a good one. Um, power is seen as limited or only so much to go around. And I think power hoarding is what keeps us in these vicious oppressive cycles um, in all aspects of life. 10, fear of open conflict. People in power try to ignore conflict or run from it. And if you've ever worked with me, you know, if you run from my conflict, I will find you and hunt you down. 11, individualism. Competition is more highly valued than cooperation. Um, I've been reading more about like West African culture and I'm trying to get into other cultures who believe in like collectivism. It's just far more fruitful for the individual than individualistic practices, if you ask me. 12, I'm the only one, only I can do this correctly, hate it. Pro th number 13, progress is bigger, more. The bigger an organization is, the better. And we see that a lot with, with charter schools, y'all. Charter schools come in with their charter and like, we are going to have 10 schools in three years. And then they get to that three years and they only have three schools because they're indoctrinated into the idea that in order for us to make progress, we have to have more and more schools as opposed to having three schools that are really high quality. 14, objectivity. Emotion should never play a role in decision-making. This is so false. And I think that I have an easier time with this because I am an educator and we do like, it is our job to acknowledge the emotion of students. It's difficult though, because then when educators have emotions within meetings or with admin, it's not as valued. And our last characteristic, number 15, the right to comfort. Talking about racism makes me uncomfortable. Let's stop. This happens all, all, all the time in white supremacist culture. And it's interesting because as a black woman, sometimes talking about racism makes me uncomfortable. Um, I, I'm gonna tell you on a later episode situation that happened to me, but we didn't stop talking about it, right? But I have seen in spaces where there are white people or people that are not black and we're talking about black, black people specifically, who are uncomfortable and so they either don't participate or we end up stopping or cutting it short because people are uncomfortable. So again, we are all indoctrinated into white supremacist culture and I'm wondering which one really resonated with you? Think about that. Moving on to the next segment. This week's two sets of notes, we're addressing a situation that happened in January 2020. A five-year-old boy was placed in handcuffs and berated by two Montgomery County police officers after he walked away from school. Yep, you heard correctly. A five-year-old boy walked away from school in Maryland, a school in the DMV, 
and basically was arrested but not taken into custody. The boy was called a little beast and told by the officers, I hope your mama let me beat you. The incident was all captured by an officer's body camera. This is only a snippet of the full story, but if you'd like to hear more, go ahead and go to Google and search for Montgomery County Police release video showing officers yelling at five-year-old boy. Now, let me spend a couple of seconds unpacking the situation, although this could be a whole concept development and an episode in itself, which may even be coming soon. Given that I taught special education, shout out to my master's in special education, as well as my upcoming graduation on May the 6th at 6 p.m. via either YouTube or Zoom, something like that, but hit me up if you want the link. Humble brag, humble brag. So given that I taught special education, one of the areas that I always had to grow and push myself in was de-escalation techniques. And the reason why I say that is because it's very challenging to meet a child where they are at when they are in crisis. I'm gonna get to explaining what crisis is and a little later. So there are plenty of strategies that you learn as a special education teacher with CPI training, uh, which also is known as the Crisis Prevention Institute. And this is a certifying body that gives you that tra trains teachers and trains educators and folks in the special education field on how to essentially meet a child where they are at, specifically when that child is in crisis. Crisis means the child is in a state where their typical style of coping is no longer effective. So if you're following me, CPI training is perfect for this type of incident. Whenever a student is ever at harm, excuse me, a harm to themselves or others, the school staff is trained in certain restraints to use on that child to prevent that child from being a harm to themselves as well as others. So we read that earlier that a, a five-year-old boy walked away from school and I'm not sure why the police were called or why the police intervened in this type of situation. Because, as I said earlier, there's a training that is recommended for these types of situations. And that's because if you don't handle it properly, you can either enable the behavior, but that's not even what we're concerned about today. We're concerned about the fact that they ended up escalating this child even further, which is what happened in this situation. As we all know, people have been calling for the defunding of police budgets which really is just the reallocation, spending that money elsewhere. And this is yet another reason why this needs to happen. So instead of police officers helping a situation, they escalated the situation even further than it already was. There were much better ways to handle this and berating a five-year-old child and placing him in handcuffs at school just ain't it. The case has recently made it to the agenda of the school board and the mother of the child has filed a civil suit against the officers involved, the Montgomery County Board of Education, and the Montgomery County government as a whole. With that, I'll also be circling back with an update and good news about the consequences for the officers and the staff of the school. And that's this week's two sets of notes. This week, we're back with a concept development that focuses on the ideal school, as we said, we're going to continue to talk about. And most of our advocates should know already that the concept development is a segment of the show where we talk about the meat, the actual topic of podcast. And today we're talking about the ideal school with the lens of race. 
race and equity. We're really just spoken on the race part and hopefully that the equity part is inspired here. So the way this is gonna work, um, first we'd like to just state that we are both um, black people when we talk about, so we're coming from the same racial experience. Obviously we have different experiences within our own race and community. Um, but I wanted to name that because at any moment, if you feel like, well, dang, they didn't talk about this community. They didn't talk about that community. Um, I'd like people to know that we will try to talk about as many communities as we have had experience with, but our experience is very limited as we are just individuals. And we hope that we eloquently describe our ideal school. And if you think pieces are missing, well then that's because you want to describe your ideal school. And we are all pro school choice here. And so our ideal school might look a little different than yours, even though we are looking through a similar lens. So I do want everybody to keep that in mind. So Hadi and I are gonna start by just referencing our own experiences or highlights um, of racial experiences in school. And let me tell y'all, I had to dig really deep because I'm like, when have we highlighted race? Or like, what did that look like in our experiences? Um, so the first thing we thought of is like holiday celebrations or like cultural celebrations. Um, I'll start with one at school. I, I'm gonna assume this is Hispanic Heritage Month. I was in like second or third grade. I'm not sure. I'm gonna assume it was though. Um, and one of our janitorial staff was a Hispanic man and he took on the lead of like, I don't know if it was like after school program, but we learned a tradition, traditional uh, Mexican folk dance. And he made it so that we like purchased fabric and had these like beautiful, well, I had a red skirt, it was beautiful red skirts and yes. these like beautiful uh, traditional blouses. And he taught us the whole entire dance. And while I don't know, I'm sure he taught us some, some history and culture around that. Um, that's something that stuck with me. And mind you, that was like second or third grade. And so I know that Hadi also has some like school, young school experiences that he could possibly share about how we saw race in schools, elementary school. Yeah, and so I think we may have talked about this last season, but I'm gonna, Lindsay probably never heard me talk about this a lot, but I used to be in the choir. And so, you know, way I don't back. Remember that. Ah, I don't remember that. Well, you always talk about being the president. I forgot the ah, part. Ah, ah, ah. Well, yeah, so I used to be in the choir. And so, of course, um, we, during the holidays, we would do a holiday performance. And one of the best parts about it for me uh, was because, so I celebrated Christmas and, but like during Christmas, we would sing all different types of Christmas songs throughout like the world. And so I thought that like, that was something that was very kind of impactful. A, just learning, cause uh, we sung a song in German. Of course, I don't remember like any of it anymore, <laughs> but back in the day, I, I feel like that was something that just really stuck, like to even think that I was able to sing in a different language. Mm, um, and it just mm -hmm. speaks volumes to like access. Um, and, and then, and I think that if I could go back, I wish I could do it over because I didn't know where any of these places were, but I was singing in that language though. So, yes. I, I, that, and that is something that I can't remember. Um, but I know, and I'm not sure, are you ready to go jump into the next aspect of it? Because well, I, I know wanted we talked about holidays. I wanted to build on the holidays that it just yes. came to my head actually. Um, because we also in choir had like a holiday show. And so we had yes. a lot of people from, uh, who were Jewish. Um, and so we sang um, songs in Hebrew or we sang songs about Hanukkah. But also we had a large Jewish community, large enough that like everybody knew when Passover was. It don't matter what race you was, what religion you were. 
mm-hmm. what you celebrated, what you identified it with. Everybody knew when Passover was because we had kids that were no longer there. Like they were, they were, I remember Emily Brown, I think she might listen, but I remember we were in Spanish class and we had Mr. Bearcat. I remember she walked with Mr. Bearcat and told him like, hey, I'm not going to be here because of Passover. But it was just like common knowledge. I mean, I went to like a Seder dinner once and this is just like you said, the exposure that I have because I don't, I don't know if I can identify any Jewish people that I know personally now, but when I was in high school, we just, Passover was it. These cultural experiences. And you said a Seder dinner? Look, I don't, I can't remember. <laughs> I just went to dinner. I, I was Passover. like, I've never, I've never heard of this, yeah, but it I, sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> it, uh, it, I don't actually remember when exactly it was, but I remember sitting there mm-hmm. and I remember being like, oh, this is cool. This is new. I don't, quite know what's going on but me and my mom were invited so we went but I had I had a friend one of my best friends he was um Jewish like through middle school and part of high school got you and you know what you actually gave me another memory because there was other songs that we used to sing one of one of them was called dreidel um it's used to go like dreidel 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 yes we see that and then one of my favorite ones was kwanzaa kwanzaa ayo ayo but like that was the first kind of interaction that I had with kwanzaa and like still to this day I'm able to re- re- uh remember all of the principles um, and, and like recite them kind of good, like oh, verbatim. Because okay, I know um, Nia, that's it. One purpose made. And Imani okay. is the power of faith. Kojakalia, the longest one means self-determination. Um, but yeah, so we'll just, I'll, I'll just give you a little taste, you know, just okay. a taste. I knew this was going to be nostalgic for us. I knew we were going to script some things and a million and one ideas were going to come up. <laughs> yeah. it's all, You, honestly, you're jogging. You tapping into schema that I haven't touched into. I don't even know how long. Okay, schema. <laughs> come on, schema. Were you, gonna, were you about to take us a different direction? Yes, I was. I wanted to talk about, like, the curriculum. Like, I remember being in class and my social, social studies teacher, Miss Dietz, amazing woman. Like, there are rarely ever times in which you have a teacher who will go out and buy papyrus paper. We did a papyrus, like I was writing on papyrus paper because we were living in Egypt and she wanted us to to know how Egyptians lived. And so like, that was an experience that I truly appreciated. And I remember like the back of my hand because not only were we living and learning about it, but we also were literally writing on things. We were eating different um, Egyptian uh, foods. We were learning about the culture. And so I feel like that's uh, a completely different experience that I truly valued and wish that I could have done that when I was teaching. Um, mm. But unfortunately, mm. I didn't teach didn't teach much of like history in that context, so I couldn't really tap into that. What grade was that? Yeah, so that was in sixth grade. Sixth grade, okay. Yeah. You know what? We definitely went to school in California because I actually remember um, learning about Egypt in in sixth grade. And I mentioned before I was hey. in connections, so I was in like a project based um, yes project based uh, learning. And we talked about Egypt, but I have the, my same Jewish friend that I was talking to, Jared. He actually took on um, explaining the five pillars of Islam, which is huh. one of the reasons why I, I know some of them. But he he did a whole like um, the Hajj is like um, a holy a holy walk to the Mecca, um, and he kind of like mirrored that. And during one hmm. of our like Egyptian nights, and then we also talked about like Ramadan, which is a holy month that is coming up next week. And so just having the access, cause I don't, I don't think we had people, I, I can't, I think I can identify some people that I think are, were Muslim. 
um, mm -hmm. now in hindsight, but it wasn't a regular conversation that we had. Um, oh, yes. I'm glad. We, I'm so glad you said that. And, and not, and not that religion is a race. I would like, I would like to right. explain, like to just verify that, um, that we're also defining some of like the cultural differences. So yes, we're talking about race, talking about equity, but we're also talking about cultures. We want to make that clear that we are not confused that religion and race are different. Right. Right. And we're not trying to use it interchangeably, but they are very, there's a lot of connection there. Yeah. And I think that, so, and like when you said that, it actually reminded me, I was talking to somebody about this the other day and not to go off too far on a tangent, but my name, like, so like, let's just call it out there. So my name is Jihad. So um, people are always, oh, are you Arabic? Are you a uh, Muslim? And they ask me that question and I'm not, but <laughs> long story short, there was a point in time in which I wasn't able to use my name on like social media. And like, that's something that I never, I rarely mm -hmm. ever say, but I think that people really need to realize that there are a lot of kind of cultural experiences and racial experiences that people have that are outside of just um, the, the way that you look and the way that like you, <laughs> people perceive you in so many different types of ways. Yes. And so I think it's very important to call that out. Mm -hmm. Like you were perceived as a different race because of your name. It also, um, or representing a different entity, Savion, okay, this is a long time ago. My brother's name is Savion. Um, and we had, we were going to Disneyland and for some reason his name was on the no fly list. It's like early 2000s too. So you can, you know what happened early 2000s. His yep. name's on no fly list. Mind you, he's like five or six years old. And so the person checking us in is just like, okay, this has to be a mistake. But in my head, I'm just at a young age. I'm like, oh, y'all being racist. Y'all being yep. prejudiced, y'all being yep. something. I can't, I can't really identify what it is because I don't know who put right. it on this list, but you saw that name and you assumed something about Absolutely. the person. Um, on a more positive note, let's make a quick <laughs> turn. Let's <laughs> <laughs> right, take a hard right, not Yo, a left. Hard right. <laughs> um, another, I felt like there in high school, we got more into like clubs, right? Mm -hmm. Different clubs. And I know in high school, we had a Bangra club um, and if people don't know what Bhangra is, uh, comes from the Punjab, Punjabi people of India. And so we had a, I, I went to school in Silicon Valley, y'all. We had a large group of <laughs> Southeast Asian people. Um, and I think they already had the club, but it became more popular once Slumdog Millionaire um, came mm. to our side and people were really into it. You know, the song, Enjoy Ho. Yes. yes. I know that like that'll that'll ring for some people. We ain't so gonna I, just pass over the fact that you were saying you hit that note. So we okay. ain't gonna pass over that. Barely. <laughs> Barely. Don't don't judge my singing off of that, y'all. Um, but I actually have like a distinct memory. I cannot remember his name, but I remember him and he would this this because he was also on the track team, he was a cross-country runner. But he was like leading the dances and they did um they did a performance like on the we called it on the quad, kind of like the yard. Um Yes. And I remember being like, oh, that's so cool. Because one, I think like when we're in this white supremacist culture and this white dominant culture, that it's mm -hmm. really great to see that there are other groups that have different pieces of their culture um, and what they feel represents them and they want to share it. And especially mm -hmm. at the high school that I went to, very, very white, very white. Yes. Um, so it was great. And I'm also like, I'm wondering, because we talked about exposure, and this is like, we will also get into talking about like what 
the act, what this looks like in action in the school. When we talk about exposure, I really love um, Indian films. Hmm. I'm really into like Bollywood films, especially on Netflix. Like I'm not somebody who really, well, I'm not somebody who really wants to read a bunch of subtitles, but mm-hmm. I'm willing to read subtitles to watch an Indian film. Um, and Slumdog Millionaire is my favorite movie to this day. So, yeah, I need to. You've been trying to get on me for watching this for the longest time, I know, but I need to watch it. I've watched different snippets of Slumdog Millionaire, but I've never watched the whole thing in its entirety. It's so, so good. It's I need so to do good. that. I need to do that. Oh, but I, another thing that I wanted to talk about is with. I remember it, this was in when I got to American, actually. Um, there was a week, and you may know more about this than I do, but there was a week called Holy at American. Mm-hmm. And I remember folks would dress in white um, and you go and you throw, I don't know if it's a powder. Yeah, or it's, like, it's, a paint. it's like a powder. It's a powder. Okay. But yeah, that's something that I do remember very consistently. Um, but yeah, the, like, the colorful powder that stains the clothes. Yeah. Yes. And then everybody but, looks so pretty. Yes. And I was like, this is, this is amazing. I'm not a hundred percent certain about like what the meaning behind all of this is for, but it looks dope. And I wish I would have been a little bit more a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe, you know, in your ideal school, that might be something you introduce. I actually used slides um, the other, the other day and they were from Holy and the kids were like, Oh, I really like these slides. I'm like, see, you don't even know that yet. Yes. you're like acknowledging that you like an aspect of somebody else's culture. And like, that's just another way to be embedding these things. And so that maybe they can't define it. Like you said, maybe you just weren't interested in, but you planned the seed was planted in your head. Exactly. Exactly. So I remember it. I remember it. But what are we moving on to next, Lynn? Um, I think that I wanted to talk about like Native American culture and how this is not something that we were really exposed to, but it's kind of crazy to be in California and like yeah. nobody's talked about it. Like I had read, my friend has a book club. It's called Books and Shit. If you want to join, yes. Um, my friend Tama has a book club, and she had us read the book There There, which is um essentially uh, a narrative about the Native American experience. Um, and like b- a bunch of different characters and their experience, and it was set in the Bay Area. Wow. And we talked about looking at like schools or things through like the race, the lens of race. And I'm like, I've never even had the opportunity to look at the Bay Area through the lens of like Native American culture. But there, exactly. there's a whole book that's explaining multiple aspects and um, the, how they have powwows. I'm like, what? Like, I had no idea because white supremacist culture and the dominant yep. culture did not allow that to have as much exposure as it should have been. Uh, I definitely wanted to name that because I was like, oh, that's the connection that I made being this old that I should have had um, more familiarity with. No, that's very true because I even think about, so my high school was called Etiwanda High School. And so like not knowing anything about it, I was talking to a friend and he went to a school called Arondacoy. And so we were just talking about like how deep history runs. And it reminded me of something that we do at my new job is we do a, a land acknowledgement and basically, that means that you, before you start any type of workshop um, or, or something that we're doing when we're with any type of external partner, you will say that we want to start by acknowledging the space in which we're on. And because 
99% of the time, the land that we are on right now, present day, wherever you may live, was inhabited by Native Americans. And that's something that is not known. And I think that that's something that should be discussed a lot more um, in schools. Because uh, I think that I think about, uh, we talked about the Cherokees, but there's so many more tribes than like we're actually, than we actually were taught. So I think that there oh, should absolutely. be much more conversations around that. Even something as simple, like I was, if you're in the DC area, you know about, probably know about Anacostia Park or at least the Anacostia River. You know, I'd be running or walking to Anacostia Park and like every time I noticed something new and I noticed the sign that was talking about like how this land was made by, made, uh, uh, made up of Native American inhabitants and it talked about the tribe. Like there's a whole, like there's like multiple art pieces. And I'm like, oh, uh, this is, this is the field trip. This is a field yeah. trip for um, second grade. And we could actually walk along here and learn about Native American culture. We could have like a supplemental video or something. And then they can go play and know that they're playing on Native land. Um, so like something as, as simple as that, but that would take a lot of, not even, it doesn't take a lot. It just takes knowledge. Yeah. And willing to know. I completely agree. <laughs> I completely agree. So with that, I wanted to kind of transition into what it's kind of like we just spit a whole bunch of like different ideas and experiences but I kind of want to talk about how we can put these into schools and what that would actually look like um I think very generally very generally to like encompass everything just curriculum um curriculum built around celebrating different cultures um I think humanities or ELA classes be like, oh, you know, we're, we're reading this book. So, but are you reading the book to learn a skill or are you reading the book to learn a culture? Um, I think that could easily be a quick fix. Um, and then at the very least, I don't think that this is super inclusive, but since we are, our people of color are already segregate, segregated based on the month. Uh, so black people get February, you know, Hispanic people get, um, is it October? I know Independent Mexican Independence Day is September. September. Um, but do you see how, I don't know if it's September or October, that's a problem like within the system mm -hmm. in that we don't know what month is dedicated to what, um, what race or ethnic group. You was uh, right, September 15th to October 15th. Go ahead, Lance. Okay, cool. I was like, September, October. I'm like, I knew, you see, I know some of my stuff all right. Look at you. Right now. Yes. Um, but part of the problem is that we are segregated via month, but you know. Yeah. Our schools, our education systems do not like rapid, do not like, um, it's not rapid change. It's when you like totally turn 180. They don't want to turn 180. They want it to be a gradual. They'll say it's rapid, but it's a rapid gradual change. So even something as simple as having curriculum or your curriculum um, really exemplify the different cultures or have it mm -hmm. written by somebody that is representing that culture. I'm sure there's plenty of people of color that are writing curriculum somewhere. So something as simple as that, I think, could really be, that's what would be in my ideal school um, if we're looking through a lens of race. Yeah, and just to stamp what you said, I really feel like the curriculum, specifically to what you were speaking about earlier, like that project-based learning is, is key. Um, I remember what I remember because I was singing. I remember what I remember because I was writing on a, a paper that wasn't just a, a regular, um, college ruled piece of paper mm -hmm. that we wrote up, wrote on every single day uh, because of the food that I was eating. Like those were experiences that you can't take away. And they literally have been ingrained in my memory to this day. And I, I think it's also about 
exposure and access. I, I think that we you, you spoke to like segregation and I don't think that we truly realize like how segregated schools are still to this day. And, and oftentimes uh, I know the students that I talk, they sometimes it's very rare for them to see white people. Sometimes it's very rare to, to do these things. And it may seem like it's rocket science to us. Like, well, like, oh, what? Your kids have never met yada, yada, yada. But no, it's, it's the truth. Like that's their experience. Those, this is their lived experience. And so trying to do a better job of, I'm not saying go show them. It's about learning history, learning cultures mm -hmm. that are outside of your own. Um, and and mm -hmm. oftentimes, and just like I said, like I was a second, third through fifth grade um, literacy teacher. And never once were we talking about the things that I used to learn when I was um, a kid in school. And so I think that that's something else that you want to call out is the fact that these social studies curriculum should be interweaved into curriculum from a much younger age uh, so that students can have access in that exposure. Mm -hmm. I, I just want because I know some of the kids that were, you're talking about in my experience where like they really don't have don't interact with white people. But just think of a world of being like black or um, indigenous or any other person of color and not knowing that white, I mean, for lack of better words, for that white people exist, but every bit of the culture that you experience, whether you can name it or not, is white supremacist culture. And like you think back to the terminology time, the 15 characteristics of white supremacy, white supremacy culture and how some of those, when I had first saw those, I'm like, damn, I knew this would have something to do with white people. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it had yeah. something to do with the dominant culture and but just think to be indoctrinated into this dominant culture but not even know anything or have like exposure experience with the people that represent the dominant culture that is um that's pretty pretty crazy it is uh, it it is it is indeed and I, I think that that's I think that that's really what gets me it's like trying to figure out like how do we really shake the system up to make sure that it's not the same way uh for the next group of students that come mm -hmm. behind us um, and I think that that's literally, that's, that's the reason why we're, we're talking to y'all. So advocates, it's on you. It's on you. <laughs> no, Here but seriously, like just, we need people to, to have a hand in the education system. And it really starts with the folks who are inside, but also who are contributing to the system mm -hmm. on the outside. So I just wanted to put that little tidbit in there. And, and Lance, I know that we did kind of talk about those other ideal practices that we remember. Like I, I remember, um, like I used to play with some amazing, like that was the best part about growing up for me was playing on basketball, uh, playing on a basketball team um, that was extremely diverse. Um, mm -hmm. You had, I had, I played with white kids. I played with uh, Polynesian kids. I played with mm -hmm. Samoan kids. I played with black kids. I, like you name it, I played with them. Mm -hmm. And just the sense of community that we built amongst ourselves. And so like, that's how I learned that there were mm -hmm. other cultures that existed, the, the foods that they ate and us being, and my dad was a coach. So we all would travel together. So they would do things differently. And I'd be like, well, what, what you doing? Like, what's mm -hmm. going on? Like, mm -hmm. those are the experiences that I was fortunate to have because I played basketball, but that's not the truth or the, the true story for everyone else. So I think Super that's side note, especially, especially with basketball and like how we uh, understand race in basketball, just on the court. When I stepped on the court, all the black peoples ran fast, right? All the Asian people were shooters. A white girl with a slick ponytail was also a shooter. She wasn't quick though. The Polynesian people were in the post. You know what I'm saying? Like there's yeah. just, and this is obviously these generalizations are not true for everyone. Right. right. Absolutely. But right. 
I just wanted to also highlight how the lens of race also uh, plays into sports. Um, I think another thing that we could, oh, speaking of sports though, um, football teams, at least where we from, and we're from the West Coast, uh, we are just closer in proximity to the Polynesian Islands. So we have uh, more exposure to Polynesian people than I think a lot of different states in the, in, um, the, the nation. But what was really popular, and I'm sure people have seen it, whether it's in a movie or on a different sports team, but football players will do the haka, which is like yes. a, a, a traditional and cultural dance. And I know there are, a, there are a couple of schools that did it. Like MA was a school, a high school that was near us. And I'm like, well, that would have been a really good opportunity. Like, I feel like people mm-hmm. just talk in the dance. It's like a warrior dance and you get ready for the fight, which is the game. Um, but as they were learning the dance, I'm wondering if like that could have been an opportunity to learn the meaning of the dance. Cause there are also people not from that race or that racial group, that culture. Um, they could have learned about the dance. That would have been a good time in a school, in my ideal yeah. school, if I'm in a high school, teach them about the culture, have a parent and parent involvement, have a parent yes. come in and teach them about it. I think that there are ways to build on things that we're already doing to make it more meaningful for people to learn, right? So you're not attaching meaning later, you're like attaching meaning as you're learning. Yeah, and I, and you said this earlier, like it should be a curriculum that's based off of like, yes, we can, the easiest way I feel like is to just base it off of the months that are already in existence. Um, you know, what we do for Black History Month, Hispanic Heritage Month, um, even Women's History Month, like all of this has to deal with um, all the things. And, and then like Women's History Month, let's introduce other powerful uh, women that were incredible, not just the, the main ones that we already know about. And I mm-hmm. think that that's something there, like there are ways that happen presently, present day that we could be interweaving this into the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And trans women during Women's History Month as well. Amen. Talk about it. Let's talk, talk about, about it. it. We're going to talk about that. We're actually going to talk about that in the next episode. But <laughs> I know some people don't know the difference between um, sex and gender but focusing on the the lens of race here uh, another cool thing like especially even you as like um literacy just simply allowing kids to use google translator like as an experiment as like oh you finished writing okay type it in a google translator see what it says you know like that could be motivating or even just in general in people who have english as a second language like Mm -hmm. teachers and other and their peers learning how to use google translator Yes, yes. And that's, it's something that we don't talk about enough. Um, But like, literally, there are communities that don't have that that teach students that are English language learners, um, but don't have a translator. And like talking about that, like I literally talked to a a teacher, I want to say he taught at Woodrow Wilson High School, and he talked about his experience being a student coming to America and having to learn the English language and him being put into special education because he didn't know English, but man was bright as I don't know what. Of course, of course. And so it's just like what type of, now that we do have the technology necessary to start build start uh trying to close this opportunity gap like what are we doing to make sure that the folks who need it have access to it Mm -hmm. and so that's the reason why like i know that we're in a global pandemic but like these are those types of experiences that are supposed to help bridge that gap and i I just wonder if certain communities are taking advantage of that um to to make sure that that's that issue is no longer a challenge and i'm sure that you would correct that in your ideal school baby absolutely i know it it. um i was about to say something about the language piece 
English as a second language. Oh, oh, <laughs> I was trying to be funny. I'm gonna do it anyway. Look here. I know I got several friends that went mm-hmm. did a little international trip abroad and could not communicate with the locals, but they wanted to be, have a little a relation, some relationship, whatever. <laughs> and they pulled that Google Translator out. And I'm like, girl, that's what you did? All right. And yeah, and it was successful. I'm like, they see, were. That's if true. we can do that, we can, come on. Right. Right. That's that's true. That's but true. In but also in my school, and because I know you, I know you would you would make this a priority as well. Hiring. How are you hiring? Do not just Man. hire black people because it's the wave. Like right. I I don't know if there are any Hispanic people on my staff and we service Hispanic students. I don't care if it's only three that I know of. Why don't we have any Hispanic teachers in the building? It's a problem. That is a problem. <laughs> There's no way to put it. But, and you know, that's my, just like you said, that's my area. You know, talent acquisition, hiring people and retention practices. That that just makes no sense. Like, it just, that goes to show, like, what you value um, and, and the true reason as to why you are at that school and that, whatever hiring you are doing. Because that's what's, it, it speaks volumes for, like, and, and they always used to tell us this question. Um, we have to be doing what's best for kids. But, like, are you doing what's best for kids are you hiring best for kids <laughs> exactly huh. so yes I, uh, oh that's you Lance go ahead oh yeah I think my last piece and you might have more um I think that there are obviously a bunch of other aspects of things that I could put in my ideal school but I really want to create a space for affinity groups within the schools and then have some type of United Nations type meeting so that everybody can hear you know, because most of the things we talked about, um, I think we can attach meeting later on, but that's just because we were open to learning at some point, or we, we've learned this information. And a lot of teachers, like in teacher preparation programs, we're not learning, we're not really learning about how to, how to um, embed culture. Like, we know how to differentiate, or we're taught how to do that, but how do we differentiate based on culture? Um, like, I would love, I'm sure there are plenty of second grade teachers who don't know that piece about the Anacostia um, Park and mm-hmm. how there's literally art out there that kids can analyze and do a quick activity with to learn more about Native communities. So it's like, I would like for affinity groups to come together and so they can discuss what they think is important within their culture and then bring it to like some type of United Nations meeting. Not to be confused with the fact that people of color need to teach others. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not right. like, and the thing is, I do think there's there's a teaching component. I think I say that because when it comes down to it and something bad happened to us, why do we not have to explain it to you? If I offer exactly. an explanation, that's totally different because I want I want community with you. But if I already done push you away because you already screwed me over, now I gotta now I gotta come back to you to explain things. So I wanted to make that clear that that's not what I'm saying. But that'd be a good opportunity for kids too to come together. Exactly, and that's the like you said the I feel like are both of our ideas together it's like it's student choice as well as students forming a collective and, and not being spokespeople for their race but having a, a, a being able to contribute on the front end as opposed to everybody and everything being retro or uh, like kind of in hindsight and, and punishing people and I think that that's really what is it, it's frustrating for me because I think about how do we build these relationships or how do you teach students that you that can't trust you? And oftentimes that's exactly mm-hmm. how uh, English ESL students 
or students who are uh, learning English for the first time, that's how they, they can't trust you because, and they're, they're scared, they're, they're fearful because they're in a system in which does not, was not designed for them. And so I think that that's literally what I am very passionate about speaking. And I was like, oh, dang, you, spit, you, you spoke about MU, Model United Nations is the, the organization that um, I used to be a part of. Mm. And that's really what it's about to, supposed to be about. But it's about like the actual world conflicts and all that other stuff. But mm -hmm. to your point, something that's a lot more communal in the sense of the school community would be, that would be an amazing idea. Um, just to try, try to build some communities, try to bring a collective together and design a curriculum, design, like there's so many, like people don't let up on students and really tap into the true potential that they are yes. really capable of. Like they are capable of writing a curriculum, but they just need to, they need to know like what, what is the, what is the common core standard that we need to be learning and they will take that and run with it assured. They absolutely will. So with that, Jihad, I can yeah. see in your body language that you feel strongly. And so I'm wondering if all those strong feelings could come up with a word that would sum up your ideal school with this Rachel lens in mind. I don't want to be redundant. So we're definitely not going to say community again. But I, I think that everybody knows that that's kind of my theme throughout <laughs> my ideal school is that we're going to have a lot of community. Um, but I would say it's going to be a phrase, culture first. Oh, okay. Got that culture fire. first. Got that fire and that flame, baby. What's, what's yours? Um, I said um, racially aware. Huh. Or, or we could do culturally aware. But I think my focus is on the awareness because so so for so long we have been privy to the dominant culture and we've been exactly you've been blind and I'm just like like think about it we're like in our late twenties right now thinking back to second grade and yes. like oh yeah I can identify that as that and it's like what if we just did it backwards you know hmm. and we're able to be aware as we were growing up yes that's dope I, I love that I love that that's that's a good one Liz that's a good Thank one. You. So we would ask um, to you, our advocates, our listeners, what are some aspects that would be in your ideal school when we think about um, race? And we recognize that, you know, everybody has their own individual experiences as whatever race you identify with or um, people in your community that you've had experience with. We, we, we haven't touched all races here. So we'd be curious to know what would your ideal school look like in the lens, through the lens of racial and cultural equity? This week's call to action, we're highlighting an organization called Educators for Justice. Please take some time to either donate, follow them on Instagram, or register for their upcoming Spring 2021 Virtual Education Summit happening this Friday, April 17th. In other words, go register right now before you forget. We're highlighting them because one of their five pillars is curriculum reform, which is one of the many aspects that Lindsay and I touched on in this episode. In order for us to create an ideal school, we need schools that are grounded in culture, history, and truth. So head on over to our link tree to find more information about this dope organization and their upcoming conference. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, y'all, at The Reformist Pipeline, and check out the website at thereformistpipeline.com. Um, please share our pages. You may have listened to this episode, and honestly, you're like, mm, it's not something I will listen to consistently. That is perfectly fine. We recognize 
that we have a niche audience. So please send this to somebody who's an educator, who is a parent, who is somebody looking to get in education, somebody looking to get out of education. And if you have any feedback, positive thoughts, or desire to be featured on the show, please visit our website again to provide that information or email us at thereformistpipeline at gmail.com. Advocates, we appreciate you. We thank you for going through this, this journey and pushing your mind to think about the idea of school through a racial lens. And we cannot wait to continue to discuss our ideal school further. Peace, love, and light. <laughs>